I felt badly this morning to break up the baby admiration group in the lobby. But here we are. Center ourselves again. Our opening words this morning are from the poet Tony Hoagland, a poem titled Beauty. When the medication she was taking caused tiny vessels in her face to break, leaving faint but permanent blue stitches in her cheeks, my sister said she knew she would never be beautiful again. After all those years of watching her reflection in the mirror, sucking in her stomach and standing straight, she said it was a relief being done with beauty. But I could see her pause inside that moment as the knowledge spread across her face with a fine distress, sucking the peach out of her lips, making her cute nose seem for the first time a little knobby. I'm probably the only one in the whole world who actually remembers the year in high school she perfected the art of being a dumb blonde, spending recess on the breezeway by the physics lab, tossing her hair and laughing that canary trill, which was her specialty, while some football player named Johnny, with a pained expression in his eyes, wrapped his thick finger over and over again in the bedspring of one of those pale curls. Or how she spent the next decade of her life auditioning a series of tall men looking for just one with the kind of attention span she could count on. Then one day her time of prettiness was over, done, finito, and all those other beautiful women in the magazines and on the streets just kept on being beautiful everywhere you looked, walking in that kind of elegant, disinterested trance in which you sense they always seem to have one hand touching the secret place that keeps their beauty safe, inhaling and exhaling the perfume of it. It was spring, season when the young buttercups and daisies climb up on the mulched bodies of their forebearers to wave their flags in the parade. My sister just stood still for 30 seconds, amazed by what was happening, then shrugged and tossed her shaggy head as if she was throwing something out, something she had carried a long ways but had no use for anymore, now that it had no use for her. That, too, was beautiful. This Sunday, quite unusually, we are experiencing a platform with almost entirely recorded music. I won't lie, part of that is our budget tightening this spring, um, which meant that we couldn't offer the appropriate honorarium for one of our wonderful guest musicians. But we also have the opportunity, silver lining, to explore music in a different way this morning. That exploration will become more clear as we move into our platform reflection, but for now, I invite you to hear, as our opening music, Christina Aguilera's response, perhaps, to the sister 
in our poem this morning.
Welcome to the Washington Ethical Society. I am Brian Pashigian. My pronouns are he, him, and his. And I'm so glad you're here this morning, whether you're in the room or joining us on Facebook. Visitors and guests, we hope that you receive the blue name tag so that we can welcome you and answer any questions that you might have. We love talking about why this community is so important to us, and we'd like to hear from you what you're looking for. We hope you'll join us after platform for coffee and cookies in the lobby and the social hall. Please also consider sharing your email with us, which you can pick up a gold sheet at the welcome table to put that on. I want to remind you to please silence your electronic devices so that you may be fully present this morning, although we'd love it if you could check in on social media. And now I invite Johnny to read our statement of purpose so that we might hear our shared values in each other's voices. Johnny's done a lot of work to create our experience this morning on the sound and with the music today. The Washington Ethical Society is a humanistic congregation that affirms the worth of every person. We strive through our relationships to elicit the best in the human spirit. With faith in human goodness, we appreciate each person's unique capacities. We joyfully celebrate together and support each other through life. We nurture a sense of reverence and responsibility for each other and the earth. We invite you to join our community of children and adults as we work for a world where love and justice cross all borders. Thank you, Johnny. As he lights our community candle, I invite you all to join me in the candle lighting words. May we kindle within us the warmth of compassion, the light of understanding, and the fire of commitment to build a brighter future for all. Each week, we ring this chime right here <laughs> in solidarity with the world around us. Today, I am particularly mindful of the extreme weather being experienced around the country and all those who have been and will be in its path. I also hold care, I also hold in care the loved ones of those killed in the shooting in Virginia Beach on Friday. As we listen to the chime, let us remember our connection to each other and the world around us. Let us hold in our hearts all that hurts in the world. and let us commit ourselves to all that calls for our work and our love. I invite you now into a time of meditation. Every Sunday, we bring with us into this time all that our hearts hold, worries, 
sorrows, joys, uncertainties, anger, and happiness. We are welcome, all of us is welcome, and everything we carry is welcome. And we are also invited to set it down. For this moment, this hour, to set it down. It will be there to pick back up. For now, place aside what you carry and breathe. In and out, slowly and deeply. Breathe along with the people around you. Breathe along with the world that surrounds us. Breathe right here, right now. Waterfall, nothing can harm me at all. My worries seem so very small, but my waterfall. I can see my rainbow.
Brian, thank you so much for that meditation. And Christina and Jimmy, thank you for the music this morning. <clears throat> the Irish poet John O'Donoghue said, beauty isn't all about just nice loveliness. Like, beauty is about more rounded, substantial becoming. So I think beauty, he wrote, in that sense, is about an emerging fullness. An emerging fullness. I was caught by that phrase as we begin our month-long exploration of beauty. The poem that we began with and the song that followed it invited us to think about physical human beauty. And that is certainly a platform or 10 or 15 in and of themselves. But today I'd like to explore the beauty that we find in music, the emerging fullness we experience ourselves when we listen to music. At least for me, music is such a core part of how I move in the world. It has the capacity to change my mood. It has the capacity to lift my spirits when I am sad or to let me really sink into the sadness. You know, the songs you put on when you just need to cry. Or to channel my rage, there is nothing like a good power anthem when you really need it. <laughs> Music is, at least for me, evocative and emotional in a way almost no other art form is. There is music that I love even though the lyrics are totally counter to everything I would say is true in the world theologically. I think about some of the spirituals that Alison Krauss sings, words about Jesus that don't have anything to do with my own theological or philosophical experience, but that somehow get to me when she lifts her voice. I actually have pretty broad musical tastes, or at least I like to think so. I like songs that tell a story. I like songs that make me feel a certain way or that give me goosebumps or anything that was on Glee. But I didn't used to be that way. When I was little, my father actually told me um, that the car radio in our car, we were a single car family, the car radio only received two radio stations. It received the uh, classical music radio station. We'll talk in a moment about what classical means, right? The classical music radio station and the oldies station. And that was all that we were able to get in on the radio. And, um, and I 100% believed him. I also believed him that the sound I heard on summer um, afternoons coming from a van driving down the street was just an interesting horn and had nothing to do with what was inside the van. He maintains that it's accurate because ice cream trucks do have an interesting horn, and they are vans. Um, it tells you something either about how gullible I am or how I prefer to think trusting I am. Um, 
But there we were with the two radio stations that the car radio was able to receive. And I was really raised on those two genres, um, on classical music, symphony concerts, my own piano study, and the music that we listened to in the car and at home, and that my parents put me to sleep with every night. I, I will say, unfortunately, I cannot listen to Bach's Brandenburg Concerti without falling asleep, so they maybe should have thought that through. Um, nothing too modern passed about Beethoven. Uh, my father thought it got kind of squirrely. Um, and then 50s and 60s music, what was in the days when I was growing up, the oldies station. Um, and I know all the words to those songs from the 50s, 60s, maybe early 70s, which meant that when I started here um, serving this congregation, which at the time was a largely boomer demographic, I felt right at home with the music that people knew and were singing. However, one grows up, and so eventually I purchased my very first cassette tape that I bought for myself, the one that I picked out and wanted to listen to. And uh, I remember putting it into the car. I went and got it at the mall. Of course, my dad had driven me to the mall, and so we got back in the car, and, I, and he said, would you like to listen to it? <clears throat> so we put it in the car, and... Um, this is what we heard. Anybody? Tell me you get it. knocked out the first track on Forever Your Girl. When the tape came on the radio in the car, my father, I will never forget it, said to me, we listened to that whole first song, and he turned and said, did you know it was going to sound like that? <laughs> he couldn't fathom that a child of his, or perhaps any human being, would want to listen to music that sounded like that. A few weeks ago, we talked about the experience of understanding your parent and your child as a truly differentiated self, understanding anyone, right, as a truly differentiated self. And I think that this was a moment like that for my father. The awareness that he had a child who liked some music that he would never in a million years listen to. We have often an expectation that our people, our family, our closest friends, our community or congregation will like the same kind of music that we do. And indeed, music is often very generationally connected, culturally connected for folks. And so there's some, you know, there's some real um, experience there where we imagine sharing musical genres with people that we feel connected to. You might be familiar with the practice in many um, 
kind of mainline Christian churches to have two different services on a Sunday morning, the traditional service and the contemporary service, so that you can pick which music you listen to, and you don't have to listen to the kind of music that you don't like, right? Make sure you show up at 9, and you'll get your preferred music, or at 11, if you want something different. When you um, go into an experience like that, a particular kind of service or a gathering of people that share a strong cultural background or a generational connection, you might imagine that you know what kind of music you're all going to like there. And there can be a kind of joyful surprise when you're in a setting where you don't expect to have a lot in common and suddenly someone catches a musical reference. We can even use musical references to signal who belongs. There's a, um, a group at West. Originally, there was a group of young adults called the Young and the Thirsty that went out to happy hours together every once in a while. And then we had um, a group of um, slightly more mature adults who decided they also wanted to go to happy hours. And so they founded Still Thirsty After All These Years. And they said, if you get the musical reference, you're the right age for this group. So we can use these references as ways to understand each other. I mentioned that when I started here, I felt kind of at home in the boomer crowd because of the music that I was raised with. And that's such an important and elusive experience to feel at home in a community like this one. What music helps us to feel at home? I imagine that each one of us might have a different answer. For my father, it was classical music. I remember the first time someone pointed out to me that the categorization, the name classical, to describe what I understood as essentially the Western classical tradition was itself a real um, uh, marker of what, what cultural standpoint we were talking from. I was pointed out, of course, there's a whole Chinese classical tradition and Indian classical music. But here, in sort of the white academia that I was raised in, we knew that classical meant a certain thing. Even the way we talk about music marks our own contexts, including what we consider to be music at all. I've heard folks suggest that rap's not music or that the atonal sound combinations you get in some avant-garde music doesn't really count Turn off that noise, right? We've heard that phrase perhaps in our lives. Merriam-Webster calls music the science or art of ordering tones or sounds in succession, in combination, and in temporal relationships to produce a composition having unity or continuity, which is relatively broad. But there's another definition of music, the one that pops up if you Google it, that says music is vocal or instrumental sounds or both combined in such a way as to produce beauty of form, harmony, and expression of emotion. You can see there a much narrower definition that depends on our own experience of beauty and harmony and expression of emotion. As though what is music depends on the ear of the listener, rather than acknowledging that each of us might answer that question differently. So here is a piece that, in the cultural context in which I was raised, I never heard an argument about whether or not 
it was music. Feel free to sing along. one chance to have this community singing hallelujah actually now i will say my father loves this piece he refuses to stand. You know, there's a part when you see it in um, concert where everybody is supposed to stand at the Hallelujah Chorus. I don't know if you know the story of why you stand. Um, it story goes that when it was first performed, the king was present or at an early performance, and um, he fell asleep. And um, then when the chorus came on so loud, he woke up and rose to his feet. And so, of course, everybody else had to rise to their feet because the king was standing. So in an anti-royalty um, uh, protest, my father never stands at the concert hall. <laughs> but he loves the piece, my atheist, secular father. This piece actually makes me think about what makes music secular or religious. This is a clearly religious piece that carries that connotation still for many people, but that also has taken on a role in the secular world. I know there are West folks that make sure to go to the Hallelujah sing-along every winter because it occupies some emotional space for them. Here at West, we take secular songs and explore them in an essentially religious context or perhaps explore our place in the intersection between secular and religious and therefore have all of the music available to us. This piece is, I think, a great example, actually, of the way that music that has lyrics that don't necessarily resonate can still um, speak to us on some deeper level. I was thinking about that recently. My children are in, a, a sort of started a strange practice of regularly lip-syncing to Alexa um, playing Last Friday Night. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that song, but... Um, I don't believe my children understand all of the lyrics. I deeply hope my children do not understand all of the lyrics. And yet, as they, they know all the lyrics, they sing along to them. <clears throat> and, um, and as they sing, they know the feeling of the song, right? They know that it's about freedom and rebellion and fun and living without regret. They can feel that even though they don't understand every specific that the song is um, talking about, fingers crossed. <clears throat> I want to share another piece sent to me by a West member um, that I think speaks to the way that our understanding of songs can change over time. Yeah. Word up. Look out for the cops, though. Cash food. Word up. Two for fives over here, baby. Word up. Two for fives. Niggas got garbage down the way. Word up. Cash food. Everything around me. Cream. Yeah. Check this old fly shit out. Word up. 
cash Take rules, you everything the around joint. me. Cream, get the here money. Here we go. Dollar, Check dollar this bill, shit. Yo. Yo. I grew up on the crime side, the New York Times side. Staying alive was no job. At second hands, moms bounced on old man. So then we moved to Shallon Land. A young dude, you're rocking the go to. The West member who sent me this piece in response to my ask about what songs you find beautiful talked about what an important song it was in his youth, in his teen years, and that as he has um, aged and understands context much more deeply than he did, he realized that how he understood that song as a teen was not, um, not a full understanding of the song. He now is able to understand and appreciate it in a whole new way. The song has been able to grow with him, or he has grown into understanding the lyrics in the piece. Music, I think, offers that um, possibility for growth and learning for each of us, expanding our ability to see and to hear beauty. It expands whom we feel connected with, and it can be a way to expand and understand other cultural experiences or simply other emotional experiences. I think about how many teenagers listen to sort of love ballads, love songs that describe an emotional experience that they don't yet have, but that they imagine having in the future, right? Sinking into this emotional place that someone else is singing about. Music can have nothing to do with the life that we actually live and yet invite us like a good book or a movie or any kind of art into another life. Pointing or toward or imagining one we wish we had or that we might have had. Sometimes, too, music comes with a sense of nostalgia, connects us with place and home. And I want to share two pieces that spoke of home to different West members. That piece is by an Algerian Nawa band, which is actually based in Grenoble, France, um, but is popular through Algeria, France, Morocco, and Tunisia, and pulls together the sounds of sort of French lounge music with Algerian beats and um, creates a melange that speaks to the multiple cultures that come into connection with each other. And one West member, for one West member, that felt like a indicator and experience of her home. And here is what another member sent us from his home. So Johnny, you're so great. Thanks for doing all this. We could just sing it, Johnny, this one. It ain't too early and it ain't, and 
Johnny tells me. Oh, there we go. Oklahoma, where the wind nice, comes huh? sweeping down the plain, and the waving wheat can sure smell sweet when the wind comes right behind the rain. Oh, Oklahoma, every night, my honey lamb and I sit I am always fascinated. <laughs> Thank you for bearing with me on that one. It's always worth it. I'm always fascinated by what pieces of music turn out to have the most commonality for this community. And I am often surprised by the piece that a guest musician or our chorus will sing that I won't imagine would cut across multiple generations, but that actually somehow has lodged into our psyche whether through a movie that almost everybody has seen or these days a car commercial or, you know, whatever it is, it has become a song that almost all of us share in common. Those are magical moments, whether they happen here or in other places. And it's one of the reasons why even in a culture like America where for the most part, People consume music rather than singing it together in daily life. We still have communal songs that we share throughout our lives. Think about birthday celebrations. Think about dances that almost everyone at the wedding knows. Even in our general uh, culture, and particularly within white America where we don't have a kind of um, shared music in the same way. We've still created some of those moments in communal life. So what happens, though, when we are in a community, a congregation, or a family, and find that we don't share the same musical tastes? It happens here all the time, of course. You know, I looked just at the list of what people shared with me as their beautiful music and saw quite a wide range of genres and ones that likely wouldn't agree with each other. Sometimes we like to say that if you like every piece of music that we do on a given Sunday, then we clearly didn't get the variety wide enough. Sometimes it can be helpful, I think, just to articulate and know that, to know that actually it's okay to be in your congregation, in your community, and hear a piece of music that you don't care for because you know that it's somebody else's favorite. I remember working um, uh, several years ago with a West member on a platform about grace, the concept of grace. 
And we decided we would incorporate the song Amazing Grace. We just couldn't skip it. And we were looking for different versions that we wanted to share. And I said, oh, I have the best possible version. It's amazing. It's so beautiful. Here's how it sounds. was not the version of Amazing Grace that the West member was imagining we would incorporate into the platform. <laughs> I, I, I sent her the clip and I said, oh, listen to it. It's just incredible. And she was, it's also seven and a half minutes long. Um, and, and she was uh, kind enough to write back and say, I don't think that that's what we want here. I love this version of Amazing Grace for so many reasons. It's uh, by Ani DeFranco, and Ani was a um, core part of my understanding of my teenage self, figuring out who I was and who I could be in the world. The song itself, um, I love, the original Amazing Grace. It's one of those songs where I'm not sure that I agree with all of the lyrics. In fact, I surely don't, but that speaks to me on a deep level anyway. It is a common song in America in many ways. Many Americans sing and know Amazing Grace. And then this version, of course, turns the song on its head. It has a subversive quality with an annoying, you could just almost hear there's a woman who drones part of Amazing Grace. Um, and then Ani's kind of grating voice comes on over it. It invites us to wonder, does Ani DeFranco believe the lyrics? Does it matter if she does? Where does the singer find grace? As I think about it, I imagine that perhaps this whole song may actually be the key to my understanding of the religious life. <laughs> Amazing grace, how sweet the sound with just enough subversion to make it feel real. Music has that ability to expand our minds. And music that we don't initially find beautiful, the pieces that stretch us, that make us at first think, oh, turn off that noise, sometimes that music holds the most power, the most potential for emerging wholeness. When we sent out this week's news and notes email, the one that has our calendar in it, that goes out every Thursday, um, we highlighted this platform, as we always do, the upcoming Sunday. And um, I'd already collected the titles of most of the pieces that we've heard today from members. Um, but I got an email back from someone with a joke song suggestion, uh, as if we would ever play that song here, you know, winky face. And so, as we explore all the kinds of music 
that we find beautiful in this community. This one is for him. Don't want to interrupt. This is the time when we add our own voices to this morning's platform with our responses and what resonated in our own lives. I invite you to raise your hand and begin with your name and perhaps share a piece of music that you find beautiful that may be surprising. <laughs> 